and starting, but don't we all feel laggy sometimes? When we're, when we're going through life, we're just like, I'm just not wanting to get to where I need to be. But that's what seems to be going on here. So just continue to pray that uh, the word would be able to go out smoothly from here on out. But I'm thankful to be back here. And I'd like for you, if you would, to uh, meet me at Mark chapter 3 as we look at uh, verses 22 to 30 as we continue on in the gospel of Mark. And as you're turning there, um, again, I just wanted to thank you all for allowing us to be able to go to these conferences. We were, it was, it was about three days worth. It was a lot of preaching, so it allowed us to get caught up on all the preaching that uh, sometimes we we miss out on on a Sunday to Sunday. But what was wonderful about it is that there were some people that preached that uh, we knew about, but also they said that they wanted to uh, bring not only the the preachers that we knew about, but to use that to let us know about other preachers that are preaching all over the world. And so we were able to hear hear one from Scotland, another one from Melbourne, Australia, another one from uh, from Kenya. And what was wonderful about it is while they were they're serving in different contexts, it was all the same gospel. It's all the same word. And we were able to be really filled up to where we could come back to our churches and let you all be the beneficiaries of it. It allowed us to really uh, get, get us ready to preach. What's so sad about it, though, is that I almost don't want to go on social media to see the responses because what's really sad is that when somebody preaches about something, they're preaching about ideas. I mean, and they're preaching about ideas that have a lot of consequences, eternal life and, and our discipleship. So, and whenever you come to hear the Word of God um, on Sunday morning, I hope that's why you come, uh, along with everything else, that you're coming to hear the Word of God. Uh, 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 high stakes are at play right now, eternal high stakes, and we need to be making sure that we're getting into the Word. But what's sad is, is that people take the social media to basically question the motives of why certain people are preaching certain things. And that's a frustrating thing, isn't it? When your motives are good and your motives are trying to be, whether it's from the Word of God or just something you're talking about, to, be, to have your motives questioned. I know that I've had it, and I know that there have been times when I've done it. And there has to be that time where we just take a breath and say, okay, what is truth? What's being said here? What's, what's the, really the motive behind it? And sometimes it means a conversation. Sometimes it may mean you just have to just stop. And just quit trying to make those associations over something and making sure that you're not looking at everything through your grid, but looking at everything through the grid of the gospel and through the grid of his word. And, and to be able to make sure that you're extending grace until you know better, right? And even then, continue to extend grace. That's what Jesus is going through here. Jesus is having his religious leaders, these religious leaders that were there who were supposed to be caretakers of the word and, and shepherd of the sheep. And shepherds of the sheep. The true shepherd who was there, they began to question his motives. And we see what he does. And we, when we have to look at what not only is happening here, we have to ask ourselves, are we doing the same thing? Well, in honor of his word, let's get to it and see what God has for us. Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 30, you know what to do. Why don't we stand as we honor his word together? This is the word of the Lord. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. May God add his blessing to his holy and perfect word. You may be seated. Let's just go through this. And so we see in verse 22, the scribes come. And the scribes are no longer asking questions like they were. If you remember, as we've gone through Mark, that whenever there was an issue that Jesus did that upset them, they would always ask a question. Why is he doing this on the Sabbath? Why is he saying this? Why, why, why? Now they have gotten to a point where they are now firing accusations at him. This man... He is possessed by Beelzebul, and, the prince, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. It's always a dangerous thing to lead with an accusation. It's always a dangerous thing to think that you already know. Now, why we get to that point, I don't know. Why we sometimes may get emotional about these things, I don't know. But sometimes we take a snapshot of things, levy an accusation, and then we end up finding out what it was later. Or sometimes we may not want to know the truth, and I think that's where the scribes were. They had gotten to a point where they did not like the fact that Jesus was garnering so much attention from the masses. They were jealous. They were angry. They were sad that they had lost their influence. And now what they were doing was they were starting to levy these accusations that did not make any sense at all. And one of the reasons it doesn't make any sense is, number one, is that they should have known better. Because Satan, while he is supernatural, Satan is a creature. He has limitations. He can't do miracles. Now, you may say, what? Yes, no, he can't. He may do illusions, and that's not a miracle. And so when we, we realize from Scripture that Satan does have his limitations, don't give him more than he is. He is mighty. He is powerful. There are things that he can do, and he studies you. He studies me. There are certain things that he know will work with me in temptations, or, or at least there will be that desire that won't work with you and vice versa. He studies us. But he cannot do miracles. Consider Job 1 and 2. Before Satan could do anything, he had to ask God's permission. Before he could do anything to Job and his family and his possessions, he had to ask God's permission. And God, while it may have looked at first that he was allowing Satan to do all this stuff to Job's family, Job's livestock, and even his health, There was a rationale behind it that suffering does have a meaning and purpose, everybody. Please know that. But the fact is, again, he can't do anything unless God gives him permission. So don't give him more than he is, but don't think less of him than he is. He is powerful. He is mighty. He's just not all powerful. And he's not almighty. Are you with me, church? Okay, I know it's not Easter, but the Lord's still alive. I need you with me. I'm tired from this week. I need you with me. 
Okay? Now, when he's talking about Beelzebul, well, let's get our terms right. What was he talking about? Well, Beelzebul, um, the definition of, of this is that, well, he's a demigod. And back in ancient times, a demigod was a being with partial or lesser divine status, such as a minor deity or, or the offspring of a god or a mortal or a mortal who has been raised to a divine rank. We usually don't have those categories now, but they did then. And that's important since this was taking place not now, but then. As we understand that, Beelzebul, if you see how that's, per, if you see how that's spelled in the Old Testament, you see the word Baal. You see how these are similar in, in, in understanding. And so this was, the, uh, th- this was basically a god of the dead. This was an old Philistine god. And you, again, you see these are, are apparent. But they should have known better. They should have known better that he was not of Beelzebul because they were, these guys were brilliant, which we're going to get into in just a moment. It's really important for us to understand that. But they were also logically off. Why would Satan try to undermine his own work? A house divided against itself. Abraham Lincoln did not come up with that. Jesus came up with that. Abraham Lincoln appropriated it, and I think to to really good effect, but it's good to know the original source. Jesus said this, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. You have to understand house. It's not talking like when we're talking about our house, we think, well, there's a mom and a dad. And, and kids and such, a couple of dogs, a bird, you know. There may be things that are going on in management that may need to take place. But a house is also used to talk about a dynasty. The house of David was not just talking about his palace or the temple. It was talking about that 400-year reign. It was the longest in the, in the ancient world, that 400-year reign of David's family as reigning over the people of Israel. So this is a house. This is a dynasty. And the kingdom that is at work right now, yes, God's kingdom is here in part with the church. But the kingdom that is having the most effect here in this is the kingdom of the God, small g, itty bitty g, the small g, God of this world, Satan. He is working. And while Jesus is there to bring life, Satan is there to bring destruction. While Jesus is there to bring life and healing, Satan is there to bring death. And so Jesus here is healing people. He's healing people. People who had these long-term injuries, long-term maladies. And he's not killing them. That would be a Satan. He's healing them. But they're saying that this is of Satan. So they were so, sometimes, have you ever been just so angry at something you weren't thinking straight? So jealous about somebody so afraid that somebody was going to take your influence that you weren't thinking straight, that's where these scribes were. They should have known better. Scripturally and logically, they should have known better. And when you get down to verse 27, it says, but no one can enter a strong man's house. That strong man's house is this world. That strong man is Satan. And it says that, you know, and plunder his goods. Well, what are his possessions? People that are under his control right? The demon possessed, right? Because that was the thing. He, he, by the prince of demon, he casts out demons. So they were, they were dealing with the demon possession and how Jesus ran them out of there. Well, it must be because they were just listening to their master. No, that was not what was going on at all. Jesus came into this world to bind the full effect of Satan in the world that God created. Yes, Adam handed over in the Garden of Eden, handed over the lease of this world to Satan. 
I'll listen to your your word. Thank you very much, God. I'm not going to listen to yours. And so the curse of sin came into the world, and that's why the world is broken. That's why Satan is reigning as king, because we didn't want God as our king. And so when we end up looking at this, it says that he must first bind the strong man. Satan, or Christ was coming to bind the work of the strong man, Satan, in order that his word and his kingdom may reign absolutely full and absolutely free. How tragic it is that the religious leaders of the day believed that what God was saying, what the Son of God was saying, would be detrimental to them, would be adversarial. You know, the fact is, is though, um, we do that now. We do that now. Are there not times when in your life there's things that you've enjoyed doing, good or otherwise, good by the world standard or otherwise by the world standard? Word of God comes along and says you should not do that or something that you don't do and God says you should do it. Well, I can't do that. And remember, I've, I've, I've kind of danced around the three reasons why the scribes were having such a hard time and the Pharisees were having such a hard time. But here are the three reasons. One, they were angry. They were angry at Jesus, that Jesus was upsetting the apple cart. He was upsetting their situation. They had their culture so firmly entrenched that they didn't want even Jesus to come in and mess it up. They were jealous, remember? The 10,000 people a couple of passages ago, there were thousands of people that were coming into Jesus, tens of thousands of people, to where they were going to be crushed, and he had a getaway boat just in case it got to be too much. Do you see what is happening here? They were angry, they were jealous, and they were losing their influence. How many times did it say in the New Testament that this is someone Jesus, who speaks with authority, unlike the scribes and Pharisees. Well, they didn't like that comparison. And that made them not only so angry and so jealous that you know what they were wanting to do? Silence him. You know how? They were wanting to kill him. Kill this man. Now, we have to understand, why were people following Jesus? Well, they were following Jesus because of what Jesus could do for him. Right? When Jesus healed the 5,000 men, 20,000 people, when Jesus healed them, they were ready to make him king. He's going to fix our economy. Boy, remember Ross Perot? It's the economy, stupid. You know, that, that means a lot to a lot of people, and especially now, people are talking about inflation, 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 inflation. Oh my goodness, the economy. We can just get the economy fixed and everything. Well, they are saying the same thing then. If Jesus, who can feed all of these people with just a little bit of food, boy, what could he do for our economy? Wow! You know, and for some people, money, 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 money is a big, big driver. Big driver. They wanted to make him king. Or they were going through all these physical issues. With a touch, he could heal them. With a touch, he could heal them. With a touch, he could feed all these people with just a little bit. Who is this man? And so everybody got Jesus, except for a few that he chose to reveal himself to. Everybody was getting Jesus wrong. And the religious leaders were getting Jesus wrong. Now, who would be more culpable? I believe the religious leaders. Because how often did they study the scriptures? They studied the scriptures so much that do you remember back in Matthew chapter 2? When when the, the magi come in? Who is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where may I find him that I may what? Worship him. 
And Herod was like, well, this guy's a threat. Losing influence, right? There it is. Angry, jealous, losing influence. What did Herod do? Herod went and found the scribes. And the scribes went to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and knew where it was in Micah. How many of you would know where things are in Micah? They knew where it was in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, that this, man, this, this child would be born in Bethlehem. They weren't, the scribes weren't stupid, but they were disobedient. Josh Howerton, not too long ago, he's a pastor back east. Everybody's back east, aren't they? But he's a pastor back east, law of averages. And he puts something out. He's like, sometimes we hear in our churches that people want to go deeper. But sometimes we get educated beyond our obedience. Obey what you know. Obey what you know. Don't keep learning and learning and then not obeying because all you're wanting to do is just get a bunch of information that's really interesting. And wow, the Bible's so fascinating. Wow. The scribes were educated beyond their obedience because they knew what the scriptures were saying about where their Savior was, but they were so politically minded, they were so economically minded that they had lost their spiritual mindedness. Has that happened to you? Are you so tied up in economics and what's going on that you're missing Jesus? Are you so tied up in politics that you're missing Jesus? Stop it. He's the king. Everybody else is going to cycle and circle out. He's not. He is firmly entrenched on his throne as king of kings and lord of lords. We've got to be really, really careful. Because this is happening in our churches now. It's, it's happening. Look at, so think about it individually, everybody. I'll go back to a question I asked earlier, and I want to land on it for a bit. How many of us, us, right, How many of us, I'm standing behind this box on a stage only because I'm height challenged, right? But there's also a deal where the word is above all. That's that's what this piece of furniture means. So what I'm, I'm asking you is this. Are there things in your life that when you read through the scriptures, you're like, I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. He's gonna ask me to give up something or he's gonna ask me to do something. Do you know what you're saying? You, if you choose not to lean into that and repent from that mindset that you have, what you're doing, is everybody with me? What you're doing is saying this, the word of God is detrimental to me. The word of God is adversarial to me. That's what the, script, that's what the scribes were saying. He's of a devil. And by the devil, he casts out devils. So when you rebel against the word of God, dear Christian, when you rebel against the word of God, what you're doing is you're doing exactly, I left my phone down there, but some of you, some of you are on Instagram. Or some of you, you have a phone, and you know what you can do? You can take a picture of something. You can take a picture of yourself. You can take a picture of somebody else. And you may look at that picture, and you're like, as is. There's an as is, normal, no filter in there. And you look at that picture, and you're like, boy, I just really, you know, boy, the bags under my eyes. I got suitcases. That's why I still wear glasses, right? The bags that are under my eyes, these suitcases that are there. I wonder if there's a way that I could just smudge that. I've never done that. I haven't gone that far. That's how God made me. Whatever. But, you know, you, you could smudge that out and, and take away the bags or the, or the wrinkles. There's actually a filter where you give yourself more hair. What would you look like if you had bangs? Really? Could you imagine? And so what we can do is we can get on Instagram and we can pick and choose what we like about ourselves. I don't like all these wrinkles. Mm. And so we smush it over. I wish I had this, so we add this in. We do the same thing to the Bible. 
I know there's people who, like, if you know how the Bible's laid out in Romans, you love Romans 8, and you love Romans 10. You got a problem with Romans 9. And if you read it, you'll see why, what I'm saying. Because it goes against what we think God's doing. We, it goes against how we think God should operate. It goes against our, our thing. And so what we end up doing is, to, and that's why I preach straight through the scripture, because it forces me to make sure that I am dealing with things that I may in my flesh not be comfortable with. But you, you have to do the same thing. I'm an expositional preacher. You need to be an expositional reader. You need to read all of what the scripture is saying so you can see all that God is about. Who he is, what he's done, what he aims to do through you. But there's certain things that he's asking you to do. I don't want to do that. I don't want to share my faith. What am I going to say? What if they say something back to me? What if I don't have the right answer? What, what if they're going to make me look bad? What if they get mad at me? What if they get jealous? What if I lose my friendships? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Or if there's things that God is telling a church to do. Yeah, but if we do that, then somebody might get mad. And they might leave. Or they may, they, may, um, they may cause a stink. That's a quote, by the way. They may do, this might happen, and this might happen, and this might happen. Do you really think that when Jesus says, I will build my church, that he made a mistake in that? Or that he added something in there that shouldn't have been? Or that he set up a pattern that, well, I didn't see that coming. And so when we decide to pick and choose things we like in the Bible and things we don't, or what the Bible is telling us regarding a church, and we say, I don't want to do that, I do want to do that, I don't want to do that, I do want to do that, even if it's clear you are to do this, you are not to do this, and we go opposite. What we're saying is, that part of the Bible is adversarial. That part of the Bible is detrimental. That part of the Bible is of the devil. And We'd better watch it. And I'm saying this to myself as well. Do you know that there are times, sometimes when I get up to preach, that there are certain things that if I do preach out of it, I do wonder what people are going to say. And you know, do you realize that there are some times when I have to really get, because I like people. I hope that's been obvious. I may not always be the most likable guy, but I hope, I try to be. But I enjoy people. And there's something in our flesh that doesn't want someone not to like us or something in our flesh where we're like, I don't want to upset them. I just can't deal with that today. There's all this other And so you, you have to fight it. And, and the only reason that I can overcome it is not because I have, I'm adversarial. The only reason I overcome it is God called me to this. God called me to deliver the mail, whether it was going to be well-received or not. And I have a responsibility And the religious leaders had a responsibility, and they blew it. And I don't want to be someone who has a religious responsibility and and am attributing something that the Bible says to something that is detrimental to the church. Do you know that there are so many churches now that are getting away from the Bible because they think if we go too deep in the Bible, it's going to run people off and people aren't going to like it? I mean, that is actually a church methodology. Don't go too deep. You're going to run people off. Don't say they have to repent. Don't say they have to confess their sins. Don't say that this structure should be in. Don't, don't, don't do church discipline. You're going to make people mad. You're going to make people mad. We don't, and that is the high treason of the day, is if you make somebody mad or offend somebody. But I want you to think about this. The chances of offending someone when you are talking about ideas that are of high stakes, do you know the chances of not offending someone when there's a crowd of more than 10, zero. 
Someone is going to disagree with these ideas. They're going to disagree with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that's why when we get into verses 28 to 30, we see the stakes. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven man, forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. I want to pump the brakes here. In Matthew 12, 32, it even talks about how that you will be forgiven blasphemies given toward the Son of God. We see this in Acts all the time that there are people. We saw the thief on the cross, didn't we? Right? So one thief on the cross. They had two thieves on the cross. It begins with, Jesus, what are you doing? Ha ha, you're here with us. You thought you were something, but you're not. Ha ha. Something happened to one of the thieves on the cross where he said, do you not know that this man has not done anything? Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today, not tomorrow, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus forgave blasphemy sent to him when there was repentance. The Holy Spirit's job is to show Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to apply all that the Father authored and the Son accomplished at the cross and the empty tomb. And if we reject that work, that saving work, that is an unforgivable sin. And it will cast us into hell for eternity. Hell is an eternal, it's not a vacation. It is not over the weekend. It is not like ACDC said where I want to go down there because that's where the party is, right? Right? It's not like what Billy Joel said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Sinners are much more fun, only the good die young. You didn't realize how much theology is being sung in these songs, but there are. Are you resisting the saving work of Jesus right now? If you are not a follower of Jesus, are you resisting his saving work because you think that if Jesus changes your life, it's going to be for the worse? I'm going to lose my friends. Somebody's going to be angry with me. Somebody's going to have this. It's going to be this. And my life's just going to be terrible. How's your life right now? I bet it's just this side of awesome, isn't it? Well, no, it's not. There's something inside of us that is, is empty outside of Christ. And we try to do everything we can to fill up that void. And there's nothing there to fill up that God-sized void, as St. Augustine said centuries ago, and it still applies even now. I came back from Louisville, and one of the things that was interesting about Louisville, Sam and I uh, went out there, and I met a couple of other guys, and then this other guy brought another guy. So there were five of us that were staying in this really, uh, in this Airbnb, in, a, in kind of a sketchy part of downtown. Inside looked great. You step outside, and you're like, oh boy. So when we would go we would go there during the daylight, but the conference would end, and then there would be times when we would, we, we would walk back. I haven't told Cindy this, um, so she's going to be very interested in what I'm about to say. But when we were walking back, um, you know, we were, we were looking down, and we were looking all around us to make sure. Because this was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, downtown Louisville, right? You know it. And so we were walking, it, and there was this, this homeless gentleman that was coming out from underneath this bypass, and he's like, y'all don't want to go down there. And you know what? We didn't. I think there was a drug deal going on. There was something that was going on as is prone to happen. And it, it litters the entire newscast in, uh, in Louisville and the surrounding areas. So we took the, the short long cut. 
and we made it back to the, to the thing. But we're, we're spending time looking down, and I love Kentucky. I, every time I go back, I forget how much I love it. I love Kentucky. But I'm here. Don't worry. Home is where your stuff is, so I'm here. But when I, get, when I got back, walking across the parking lot, slept in a little bit, walking across the parking lot, I saw the mountains. I'm like, oh, yes, because the mountains make me look up. The other stuff made me look down. Residents look down, tourists look up. I want to stay a tourist out here as long as I can because I want to look up and see those mountains. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Psalm 121. I was, gonna, I was hoping you would finish it. I lift, no, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm, seri- I'm serious. I need, I need the help today, really. I lift mine eyes unto the hills. For where does my help come from? I, I think you learned in the King James. But what's those six words? My help comes from the Lord. He goes on, maker of heaven and earth. And that's what we've got to do. If we're looking at the scriptures, but, and then we, we, we look up from the scriptures and we spend our time looking down, what we're going to do is we're going to try and get out of everybody's way and, and not step on anybody, not hurt anybody's feelings, not do any of this. And what happens? God's over there saying, I have told you, old man, what is right. I have told you, my word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. I will hide his word in my heart that I may not sin against God. Therefore, if I don't hide his word in my heart, then I am sinning against God because there's something about his word that doesn't fit in my life. And that can happen to Christians too. We can be like the scribes who get so used to building a culture that even if Jesus came in to say something about how we should move and work on some things, we'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We spent a long time getting it fixed up around here. Don't be messing with our stuff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, I said this in youth this morning, Jesus always, always, always has your best interest. Always. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. That, the, the word grief. But it could be anything else. You, in, you can insert anything else that you're going through. He cares. Everything that he tells you, everything that he commands you, Every direction he tells you to go as individuals in church, as a church, is always for his glory, but it's always for our good. So here's some questions as we close our time together. Are there parts of the Bible that you just flat avoid because of the anger or jealousy that may ensue from somebody else or for the loss of influence that may happen on your end? Are there places that you avoid because it goes against your lifestyle or the way you think God should operate? Christ has given us his word. Amen? You with me? Okay, amen means you agree. It's not just a southern term that we say out of habit. Amen amen means so be it. Do you know that Christ has given us his word? That we are to look at the whole counsel of God that shows his heart, that shows his mind, that shows his plan, that shows his design, and, and, and shows the will of God Almighty.
So we don't skirt over any part of this. It all is a Christian book. It's all in play, everybody. Secondly, if we're ignoring large pieces of what our Lord instructs us to do, what does that say about our view of Him as Lord of our lives? The earliest creed we had was Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. But not, but not here. Not in this area. Not in this thinking. Not in this verbiage. No, he, He's not Lord here. I want Him. And so what we do is we say, Lord, you can be Lord here and you can be Lord here. I got this. But you can have this. You've missed the point. Either Jesus is Lord of all or Jesus is not Lord at all. Are you with me? I'll take your word for it. Amen. Are we doing the same that the Pharisees and the scribes are doing? And for those of you here who are not followers of Jesus, do you take a look at the claims of Jesus or do you just go ahead and just ignore them like the scribes did? Just ignore them and just already come to your own conclusions. If you're going to say something about Jesus, at least look at what Jesus has said. And if you're going to look at what Jesus has said, ask God. Well, I don't believe in God. Ask him anyway. You might be surprised. Ask God to say, okay, Lord, show me. And you better buckle up and get ready because he is going to show you. Many of us in this room have been Christians a long time. And many of us in this room will risk being tempted to think we've already got it all figured out, that we already know how the Bible's laid out. I got it. But I guarantee you that as you start going through the Scriptures more and more, there will be some things that will come against you that in your flesh will be like, oh, I I, I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't be that. What are they going to say? He who is ashamed, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me now, then my Father will be ashamed of you later. Do you want him to be ashamed of you? I don't want him to be ashamed of me. So let's get into the word. Take God at his word. Trust him and and know that it's not adversarial or detrimental to us at all. It's for our good. And it's for his glory. And anything that's of God is good. Don't say it's bad. It's good. And when Jesus says he died for your sins and he calls you to deny everything that you have and to take up your cross and follow him, boy, that sounds bad. Deny everything, yes, but it's good. And it'll be for his glory. Won't you do that this morning? Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, you may need to make that recommitment. Or maybe you've never trusted in Christ at all or you're at all points in between. This is the morning that we recommit or commit our lives to say, Jesus, you're Lord. I'm not. You have it all. I don't want any of it. It's all yours. Jesus, you're more than enough. Heavenly Father, guide us in all that we do and say. And I mean that, Lord. I know I start my prayers off like that most every time. But we need you. We need you to guide us in everything that we do or say. And I pray, Father, that whenever we attribute something in your word and we, we first begin to think of how it might affect us or how it might affect somebody else and they may get angry, they may get jealous, they lose influence, what, and we don't look to you first, may we repent 
Your word speaks. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you, Lord, that you come by your word to discern all that we are and all that you are. Father, as we sing this song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Bring us to that point. Bring us to that point where all that matters is Jesus. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. May we come to that point where all that matters is you. And as Christ is the key, everything else will fall where it needs to fall. But may we trust in you, whether it's a recommittal as followers of Jesus, or whether it's an initial commitment, an initial confession, an initial repentance of sin, so that we would turn from our brokenness and deadness and turn to you as the bread of life and the living water, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was clear, no one comes to the Father except by Him, and maybe you need to trust in Him this morning. Do that. Don't leave here without knowing that you are right with Him. And and for those of you who are followers of Jesus, and there may be some things that are off, that you know that you're not quite given over yet, this can be the morning as well to start fresh, to start anew, to recommit that life. Let's stand together as we sing this wonderful hymn, this wonderful prayer.